The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Mary Woods, and I'm your host today. We have a very exciting show for you. Um, we have two documentary filmmakers who have put together or are in the process of putting together a documentary called Orchestrating Change, and it's a documentary about the world's first orchestra for people with um, mental illness. And our guests today are Margie Friedman and Barbara Walter Wellen. They're the executive producers of um, orchestrating change. So, um, welcome to One Hour at a Time. I am so happy to have you on. So often we're talking about um, people's illnesses and people's symptoms and how nice to be able to focus on people in recovery and doing the things they love. So, thank you for joining us today. Thank, thank you. you. For we're we're delighted to be, to be here, here, Mary. So um, maybe you could uh, just share with our audience a little bit about yourselves and how you got interested in this project. Uh, sure. Uh, my name, I'm Barbara. Uh, I have been a nonfiction producer and, and filmmaker for my entire career. I just feel like truth is stranger than fiction and a whole lot more interesting. Uh, Margie and I have worked together on and off for many years, and uh, a year and a half ago or so, we were looking for a project we could do together. And uh, I, I'll let Margie describe uh, how we came upon this particular orchestra. Yeah, it was a rather circuitous route. Um, it kind of fell into our lap. Um, Carolyn Whidden, who's the executive producer of Me Too Orchestra, um, contacted me, actually, to order a copy of my previous film, um, which was about the only um, prison choir in the country to perform outside prison walls and she that had aired on PBS. And she wanted to order a copy for the orchestra to see. And in her emailed to me, she told me about this wonderful orchestra that they had started in Vermont for people with mental illnesses and those who support them. Half the orchestra is people with mental illnesses and half of the musicians do not. Um, And anyway, I just was so impressed with what she was doing that I I said, has anybody ever done, done a documentary about this? And she said, well, we've been approached a few times, but we didn't think it was quite the right match, but, but we do now. And so um, that got the ball rolling, and I, I immediately called Perp, and I said, I think we've just got the most wonderful project. It's just fantastic what they're doing. So that's, that's mm-hmm. how it started. Shall we give you a little background about the orchestra itself? That'd be great. Well, uh 
It's it's a long story. It's a story that starts several decades back, actually. The musical director for Me Too Orchestra, and that is the name of the orchestra. It's capital M, little e, and the number two, as in Me Too, as in, oh, you have a diagnosis of a mental illness? Me Too. His name, uh, the musical director's name is Ronald Bronstein. Ronald was a wunderkind. He was destined to be a musician, started studying very, very young. He graduated from the Juilliard conducting program. He won and was the first American to win the very prestigious Herbert von Karajan conducting award in the 70s. And he started on a glittering career uh, and was meant as an international maestro conducting all over the world. But he had had issues. He had had depressions and and very dark periods followed by very up crazy periods for a long period of time. But like a lot of people, he was really scared to go and be diagnosed because he was scared of the effect that that would have on his career. But things were happening. He'd have periods of deep depression where he wouldn't be able to get out of bed or he would be in a manic period. And at one point he told us that he, he made an orchestra rehearse the same note for 45 minutes until someone kind of came and gently took him off the podium and asked him to go and have a rest. He finally went to see a psychiatrist, was diagnosed as bipolar, uh, and when he told his manager, who was you know one of the premier managers of the day, the manager promptly dropped him as a client, and he was really shunned by the classical music business. He spent several decades kind of out in the wilderness trying to survive, um, and Margie, why don't you tell the Vermont part of the story, the happy part? Uh, yeah, the happy part. Um, you know, he really was, Ronald was nearly destitute, destitute at that point. He really, uh, his career had just absolutely plummeted, and he wound up getting hired by the Vermont Youth Symphony, and uh, during that time, it owned that only lasted a short time, but during that time, he met Caroline, um, who was then um, running the orchestra. She had come from that background, and um, she fell in love with him, and it, it took a while to convince him, but um, then he realized that he, too, was smitten with her, and they decided together uh, to start this orchestra. It was really Ronald's idea to start an orchestra for people, for musicians just like him. And Caroline, who knew how to run orchestras, was you know, really the perfect match. And in 2011, they launched the first Me Too orchestra um, in Burlington, Vermont, which is where they're based. And then just about a year and a half ago, they started a second orchestra in Boston. Their goal is to have at least 20 Me Too orchestras in major cities across the country. Um, their model uh, is something like the Gay Men's Health Choir, Gay Men's Choir, not, excuse me, the Gay Men's Choir, which has been so successful at as they perform in all these different cities, and they spread tolerance, they spread compassion, they spread understanding. Uh, it's not a, 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 it's a really good model because, you know, like uh, every family has one or more gay family members. Well, pretty much every family has at least one person who has experienced a mental health crisis of one sort or another. And it's not something that we're talking about enough. It's still something that's very much in the closet, if I can use that terminology. And it makes it harder, as you know so well, for people to seek the treatment that they need. Uh, and that's how this all starts. And really the goal of the orchestra is to um, reduce stigma. 
you know, when they go out and perform, they perform in public, they perform at mental health facilities and conferences, and really they started off at the very beginning by saying, you know, we are a group uh, about acceptance and tolerance, and, um, you know, as you listen to us, we hope that you can sit there and take that in and be a part of that, and it's it's really changing the lives of the musicians who belong to it in, in really quite extraordinary ways. You know, I think it's, it's, um, it's amazing. What we've experienced here is a number of the folks that we work with are, are very strong musicians. And um, for our folks, it's more guitar and drums, more kind of the rock kind of genre. But um, there are so many talented people that have a mental illness. And unfortunately, what happens is, is that once you receive the diagnosis, society and our funding system makes you the label. You, you, right. you are schizophrenic. You have a, you're bipolar. You're manic depressive. And for many people, they, they lose connection with the things that feed their soul, whether it's music, art. Sports, and they lose their identity, and this is wonderful. It's true there is a, a, an enormous connection uh, that is lost. So many of the people, uh, classical music as a business is a, is a pretty cutthroat environment. Uh, we've heard from many of the musicians uh, who have had prior experience, even as students, that to walk into most rehearsals for, for orchestras, uh, you've really got to be perfect. The standard is perfect. And if you don't meet that or you're having a bad day, there's no room for that. What Ronald has created with Me Too is a very inclusive environment where, for example, if someone's having a bad period, one of the members of the Burlington Orchestra recently had to spend three or four weeks in hospital and there was no, you know, we missed, we, we missed you, you weren't here, uh, we dropped you because you weren't here. There was just caring and concern and understanding. And when he came back, the seat was open and, you know, he just picked right up where he left off. You won't find that in, in most musical environments. So that's been very important to, for, for these members. It's also a non-auditioned orchestra. So that even if you're not a great musician to start with, they're willing to have you come in and, and play what you can and learn as you go. Also, a pretty rare, uh, a rare kind of experience, as we understand it. So, how does this orchestra get funded if they're traveling? And well, you know, they depend on donations and and from private individuals and from organizations. They're a nonprofit, um, and that's. I think it's really from hand to mouth. I mean, it's it's not easy running no. a nonprofit. They, uh, you know, have some Vermont uh, funding coming in from different grants. Uh, but, yeah, it's uh, as in any other arts organization in this country, it's very much, you know, from one season to the next. Uh, as they get more people involved, uh, hopefully it will get easier. And that's one of the reasons that we're so dedicated to doing this film, because we know that once the film is finished, it will give them national exposure on a level that they haven't been able to get before. And we're hoping that the more people who know about about the fit of the orchestra, the easier it will be to, for them to secure funding. We've also arranged with them, because they're a nonprofit, uh, they are the fiscal sponsor for the film. So we have actually just today started a crowdfunding campaign to help us finish the film. 
and the Me Too Orchestra is our fiscal sponsor so that they will get 5% of everything that we raise for the film uh, will go directly to Me Too to further their efforts and keep, allow them to keep going. I should mention that if anybody's interested in uh, looking at our crowdfunding campaign on Indiegogo, to go to Indiegogo.com and look in the search box, just type in Orchestrating Change, and it will take you to to our page. And you'll also be able to watch the presentation tape, um, so you can can see the orchestra and um, hear interviews from some of the musicians as well. Right. Uh, it's also tax deductible, by the way, any gifts that are made. But we'd love to tell you about you know, some of the people uh, in Me Too, uh, aside from Ronald, who is quite an extraordinary uh, musician. Uh, and uh, there are, as you say, quite a number of people uh, who have had music as a big part of their lives until they were sort of, you know, put into a corner, so to speak, by their diagnoses and had stopped playing uh, in many cases. Uh, And it's really wonderful to see these musicians come back to what they initially loved so very much and get so much enjoyment and so much fulfillment out of playing with the orchestra. It's very healing. How much time did you spend with them, with the orchestra? Well, we've spent, you know, we've been to Vermont and Boston several times now, um, and obviously we have uh, numerous, you know, more trips that we need to make to complete the film, but we've spent quite a bit of time with them already, and uh, it's truly an extraordinary experience because the musicians are so forthcoming. They're yes, so forthcoming. they're so, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. They're so forthcoming about their mental illnesses and sharing their stories and their experiences. It's just, and they're doing it because they want other people with mental illnesses to um, to know that it's okay to talk about. And they also, as as one of the uh, the players has said to us, you know, we want other people to know that mental people with mental illnesses are more than just their diagnosis. They're people with talents and gifts and abilities who have something very real to give to the world. There's uh, one and, of the uh, musicians, Carol, who plays the French horn. Before she joined Me Too, she really would not talk about her mental illness with people. And, in fact, when she first joined, she wouldn't even sign their media release form that would allow her to be interviewed by any you know local newspaper or any pictures. And now it's completely the opposite. She is so outspoken. Um, she's actually on the board of NAMI Vermont. I mean, it's really um, given her, I think, an incredible sense of acceptance about herself as well. We'll be right back after this commercial break and to hear more about the people that are in the orchestra and hear more about orchestrating change. And we'll be right back after this commercial. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Every day, you hear so much about different aspects of the health and wellness field. One day, you hear one thing, and the next day, you hear something that contradicts what you heard the day before. How do you know what's right? Try tuning in to The Cutting Edge of Health and Wellness today with Dr. Neil Nathan. Our goal is to educate and explore this field with guest experts in order to help you take control of your health and well-being. Listen Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. What causes us to be sick? We're not talking about the actual illness or the scientific cause of illnesses. We're talking about your body and health. Listen for the healing whisper of Return to Peace. Each week, host Dr. Marianne Chase shows you how to listen to your heart to identify poor health, stress, and disease. You'll learn how to heal energetically and spiritually as well as physically. It's time to depend less on the drugs and more on the heart. The Healing Whisper airs live every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to the show. Um, our guests today are Margie Friedman and Barbara Malter Wellen, who are the executive producers of Orchestrating Change, which is a documentary about the Me Too Orchestra, which there is one in Burlington, Vermont, and one in Boston, Massachusetts. And before we went to break, you were, you were starting to talk a little bit about some of the people you met who are in the orchestra. Yeah, I wanted to, um, and in a moment we'll, we'll hear, uh, you'll hear a little bit from them, but uh, one of the musicians, Dylan, who plays the double bass, um, he was diagnosed with um, schizophrenia. Not too late, he was around 30 years old when that happened. And after it happened, uh, you know, he was afraid to tell people his diagnosis. He would tell friends that he um, was an addict, that he was addicted to drugs, rather than tell them that he was schizophrenic because he was afraid of the stigma. He thought it was scary to tell them that he was a drug addict. They were less afraid of him as a drug addict than they were if they heard that he was schizophrenic. And, And before he joined the orchestra, he hadn't left his house in about three months. Um, he just was very depressed. He had nowhere to go. Um, you know, and one of the things he says is that, you know, all the medication in the world can make you better, but, it can't, but if you've got no place to go, you're not go, you have no place to go. Yeah. And the orchestra has really given him 
and an identity that he had lost after his diagnosis and can no longer work. And, and it's really changed his life. It's, it's given him a real purpose, again, that he had lost. So now we're going to hear a couple of clips uh, from the film, which is still in the progress of being produced. But these are uh, some little sound bites from three of the people who are musicians in, in the two Me Too orchestras. We'll talk about what they think about the stigmatization of the mentally ill. So if you want to go ahead and play that, that would be great. Right. I felt incredibly stigmatized. Why? Because... I was told that my thinking was not realistic and that I was, my beliefs weren't real and that I wasn't able to hold a job anymore and I got put on disability and, and so now I was taken out of the community that I had grown up in, like the normal community. And then now with the mental illness and I'm going to halfway houses and meeting places and clubhouses with other mentally ill people and and I just, it was really depressing. I didn't feel like I was a part of the rest of the world. Like I had somehow gotten lowered into a different class. The orchestra has given me confidence to talk about my mental illness in a way that I don't feel like I'm describing that I have cancer or something. I don't feel like I'm... I'm just sharing something that's going to bring everyone down. I feel like this is just part of the picture of who I am. And it's made me who I am. And that people, I, I've, I've learned to, to accept that people with mental health challenges still have plenty to give. And in uh, me among them. <laughs> The hardest part of having a mental illness is definitely dealing with the stigma of it. Um, you hear a lot from people around you that you're never going to accomplish this, you're never going to do this, you're not dateable, you're not worthy of being in a group, you're not worthy of continuing doing what you love to do in your life. So you've just heard Dylan, who plays bass, uh, Carol, who plays French uh, horn, and uh, Sandy, who plays the flute, uh, in both uh, in the Boston Orchestra and the first two in the Burlington Orchestra. And clearly, they have very strong feelings about what it means to be stigmatized um, by the larger world once you have to carry this diagnosis around with you. Well, I think, you know, certainly we've... We've experienced it um, with our participants and on behalf of our participants as well. And I think that, you know, people get marginalized and there's something inherent in our system that if you become disabled in order to maintain the benefits that may provide you the medical care or enable you to pay your rent or to just survive, if you can't work, then you have to be ill and you have to be, you know, significantly ill to maintain your benefits. So the system is just geared up to keep people sick and to help them focus on what's going wrong instead of what's going right. And um, everywhere people look, whether it's the media or the the healthcare system, um, it's like running into a wall. There's, There's nothing positive that's reinforcing for them. 
It's really true. I mean, certainly Dylan's experience and so many of the other people in the orchestra was to be, you know, put in this corner of like, now you have to have this be your entire life and define your entire life. And there's so much more. He says, you know, now I don't have to just say I'm mentally ill. I say I'm a bass, I'm, I'm a bass player with the Me Too Orchestra and we're fighting stick, stigma everywhere we go. And that gives him a sense of pride, a sense of belonging, you know, a sense of purpose in his life that had really been taken away from him. Uh, there's so much fear in our society about admitting that you're mentally ill. And, and as Dylan said, it was, you know, his friends were less scared of him if they thought he was a drug addict than, than he was mentally ill. And certainly that has a lot to do with the portrait that the media portrays uh, so often of, you know, every mentally ill person as a, a crazed killer. It's so unfair and statistically so untrue. Uh, we're hoping in, you know, a more positive way that, that, that our film orchestrating change will, will be helping to, uh, to change that perception, and certainly the work of Me Too Orchestra is helping. Every time they have a concert, they do a, a conversation afterwards where they ask people in the audience to, uh, if they have any questions about what it's like to deal with living with a mental illness. That makes it less scary and less, less you know, outside of people's common knowledge. And I think the more people open up about having a mental illness, the more we can kind of just say that it's part of the human experience for the large majority of people, whether it's depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress, separation anxiety when you go off to college, um, or any of the other uh, major mental illnesses that people experience. You know, I said earlier, everybody knows someone. Everybody knows someone. We all do. And I think what's really interesting about the Me Too model is that half the orchestra are people who don't have mental illness. And so the whole mm-hmm. idea is to be inclusive and to integrate, you know, people back into society who do have mental illnesses. And the people who don't have mental illnesses who are in the orchestra have, you know, have all said they've learned a tremendous amount as well. Right. Um, and it's really benefited them, too. So I think that's a wonderful part of the concept of Me Too, is that and, kind and, of inclusion. Sorry, that's, that's unusual. And on, on top of that, you know, as, as Caroline says, they never at the beginning of a concert say, well, you know, the timpanist has mental illness, but the violinist doesn't. But the, it's just a group of musicians, right? And if they choose at the end to speak about their experience, uh, fine. But if not, you don't have to speak. But what, what's important, I think, is that, of course, on the face of it, you can't tell the difference. It's a group of musicians, and they're all working together to create beautiful music. And that's what's important. So that no prejudgments are being made about, oh, you know, this one is and this one isn't. I think that's, that's a, a big and very beautiful part of it as well. Uh, but I certainly remember, I mean, in my grandmother's uh, generation, my uncle had a, a major breakdown as a, uh, a, a late teenager, and it was a huge shame that had to be hidden uh, from everybody else in the world. Nobody should, uh, and she was also eventually diagnosed and back then as manic depressive. But these were things that no one was ever supposed to know about or talk about. Uh, it was, uh, you know, a terrible thing that had happened to the family and that, you know, it was supposed to be a deep, dark secret. That's about, I think, the worst way you can poss- possibly deal with anything. And I don't know if it's changed all that much. I have, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a friend who's experienced that and, and, uh, I think it's very similar for her. She doesn't tell very many people for the same reason. 
Right. You don't want to be seen as uh, unsteady or or someone who can't be depended on. Um, I've certainly experienced periods of major depression in my life and have dealt with it and am medicated for it. Uh, and at this point, I understand that it is really important to talk about it uh, freely. It's something like having diabetes. It's just a chronic disease that needs to be managed. Uh, but it isn't something that I, I need to hide away and be ashamed of. And uh, that's certainly something that drew me as a filmmaker um, to wanting to make this film and to, to wanting to really help this effort along. And we'll be right back after this next commercial break. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness. We are bombarded with information daily about happy life strategies, beauty products, and business success ideas. Are they truly going to make a change or just take the change out of your pocket? Tune in to Shelly's Show and Tell with host Shelly Hancock. Shelly will explore and recommend proven business ideas as well as show you how to use the law of attraction to create health, happiness, and a prosperous business. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods. I'm your host today, and our guests are Margie Friedman and Barbara Walter Wellen, who are the executive producers of Orchestrating Change, which is a documentary about um, an orchestra that, that um, based on our last segment, integrates folks that have experienced mental illness with folks who don't experience mental illness, and they create music, classical music together. And uh, there's an orchestra in Burlington, Vermont, and Boston, Massachusetts. So um, 
we were talking during the break, and I'd asked whether in filming this, if they had if they had observed any types of um, discrimination or stigma or any of the folks with mental illness being treated differently. And um, can you address that now that we're live and on? <laughs> we can. The um, radio? Okay. You know, <laughs> let, let me just say, we, we still have filming to do with the musicians in their personal lives, but they've certainly started to tell us stories. Um, <clears throat> for example, one of the musicians... Um, you know, when she got her diagnosis, her boyfriend instantly dropped her. Yeah, it was very painful. It's actually, it's quite a, a an interesting story. Her mother, who also in later in life got a, a diagnosis, uh, was sitting on a port on the porch talking to her boyfriend, uh, and just dropped that uh, her daughter was bipolar, and uh, this guy had uh, not heard about this before, uh, and. Uh, Unfortunately, he just wasn't able to deal with it and, and really dropped her kind of almost immediately. Very painful, a very painful event for her. Fortunately, her current boyfriend, whom we have had the pleasure of interviewing, uh, is incredibly supportive and loving and uh, made on film one of the really sweetest and most loving statements about you know living with uh, uh, someone with a bipolar disorder that uh, really we've ever heard. He's just like, this is part of her. Uh, I love her. I don't care. It's part of something that, it's something that's part of what makes her, her. And we'll, we'll, we'll go through this together. Um, that's the kind of attitude that we need to see. You wouldn't uh, leave someone, or hopefully if they were diagnosed with a, a physical disease, I suppose that happens, but it doesn't say much for you as a person. Um, we need to be in the same place with people with facing mental illnesses. You're not always in crisis. There are plenty of ways to be helped and to make, you know, a really good life for yourself. Um, but of course, first you've got to get the help and not be afraid of, of that stigma that society is so focused on. You know, I think, I think what's unique there's... about all these musicians is they're, yeah. they're really very determined to um, do what they want to do in life, to have jobs, to do what they enjoy. They're not, while, while they have setbacks, they're not letting that stop them. They're still very much pursuing life and, and very much want to show, you know, just because I have a mental illness doesn't mean I can't achieve things. Right. And I, I think that's one of the things we very much want to get across in the film is to show them, you know, ha- having this wonderful accomplishment of creating this beautiful music. Well, I don't think anyone should be defined by their illness. Um, you know, people are more than whatever diagnosis they've been given, and it's just really important that people reclaim their lives, whether it's through work or music or art or hobbies or exercise, um, that, that they really are able to become the best they can be. Right. Yeah, and, you know, unfortunately we've heard, you know, stories from these musicians where they felt like for a long time they were expected to sort of stay in the shadows and not be seen. And I think it's taken them, many of them, a long time to turn that around in their lives and realize, no, that's not okay. You know, I want to be out in the limelight. I want to be seen. I want to be able to do the things I enjoy doing. And I think that's also what's so impressive about them is that that is what they're doing. And, and certainly the orchestra is giving them a vehicle to do that. And to be with other people with mental illnesses who are supporting them doing that. It's really, 
it's really a community for the musicians that, that many of them did not have before. Right. And a place where they can really be open about, you know, I'm having, I'm struggling with my medication, I'm having a bad day, you know, this is difficult for me. Uh, it's a place where they know that there's always a, a connection. You know, many of the musicians have made um, special uh, friendships either with uh, Ronald, the ex- musical director, or Caroline, his wife, who's the administrator, the executive director. Some of them will come in early just to talk. You know, just to see how the week has gone from rehearsal to rehearsal and just make that connection. There are also a lot of friendships that are made in the orchestra itself. Uh, stand partners, you know, people who share the musical stands and share music uh, will often strike up friendships. And uh, as a matter of fact, we're hoping to be able to film. They have a, a, a picnic uh, every year in August. Uh, one of the reasons that we've just started our crowdfunding campaign on uh, Indiegogo uh, is to raise the funds to be able to go and really film uh, this picnic with everybody and hopefully some people from the Boston Orchestra will be there as well. Uh, So it it becomes sort of a social context for people as well. Uh, Let me say again, too, that our Indiegogo campaign, if you go to Indiegogo.com and type in orchestrating change in the search box, it will take you to our crowdfunding campaign. And we really love the idea that, you know, small donations from lots of people who are concerned about this issue um, will help us get finish this film and get it out to the public. Yeah, we're about a third of the way done with the shooting and, and uh, very determined and, and dedicated to finishing the film and getting it out there. You know, we would like to get it broadcast. We'd like to make it available for educational um, to educational venues, uh, to mental health organizations and conferences. Uh, I just think these musicians and Ronald and Caroline are, are real role, role models. Absolutely. That need to be emulated and that, and that have a lot to offer other people viewing. So we're very excited and hoping to finish the film. And we're not newbies. I mean, we're both Emmy award-winning producers. We've uh, made films for PBS and HBO and Showtime and just about every cable network you can imagine uh, between the two of us. There's uh, quite <laughs> a lot of experience career. there. <laughs> uh, so, you know, we, we, we know how to make this film. We're about as enthusiastic as I think you can be. Uh, and there's a, a, a really beautiful, really important story to be told here. Just to spend time with these, these folks has been so wonderful. And to to get to know uh, some of them, there's one young woman in the Boston Orchestra who had been in uh, graduate school for music, uh, and it was interrupted. She had a breakdown and had to leave for treatment, Uh, moved back to Boston, which was uh, close to where she had grown up, and joined Me Too. uh, And through that and treatment and, you know, really working hard, uh, has gotten to a place where she's about to start uh, another grad program in music and uh, is very sure that this time she'll be able to finish. And a good part of that was that she was able, she's a very talented uh, uh, musician, and she was able to uh, really take a leadership role in the Me Too Orchestra uh, with her strong musicianship. Uh, and it was a, a great experience for her that really was a confidence booster uh, and, and really let her try to apply again and, and really have the confidence that this time she has the tools to achieve her dream which was to get to get her her masters in music and and make her life in in some, one way or another as a professional musician. Uh, there are lots of stories like that. And I think also I think you know the, the other aspect of this is that music really can have an impact on your well-being. 
You know, oh, we've yeah. talked a lot about the other aspects of it, but I think there's also something to be said, and I know there have been uh, clearly a lot of scientific studies on this, but music does affect your brain. It does affect your well-being, and a lot of the musicians have talked about how when they're playing, one of the things that playing does is it gives them total focus. It shuts off everything else going on in their head, and it's really an escape for them in a very wonderful way. You know, mm-hmm. if they're having a bad moment or whatever, if they start practicing, it transports them. And so I think there's also a lot to be said, whether it's music or art or whatever it is that engages us so thoroughly. Um, you know, I think that's very important for all of us, whether you have a mental illness or not. But it's also one of the very wonderful things about what this orchestra brings to them on, a, on that whole level. So how do, you, how do people join? Do they, um, how do they, if, if people are interested, how do they join? They really can go to the uh, Me Too Orchestra website and uh, see, you know, uh, and send an email and say that they're interested. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a completely open. It's a non-auditioned orchestra, as we've said. And uh, they're, uh, you know, they really just, if they're in either Burlington area or the Boston area at this point, uh, that's, uh, that's really all they need to do. As I said, it's metoo.org. And uh, go to the, the, the web page and, uh, and contact them. Send them an email. And uh, they will follow up. They're always looking for, for more players. And, and we've heard recently that there are people, there's a, a, a woman from Britain and from other cities, I think San Francisco is another one, that have contacted Caroline and Ro- Ronald about starting branches of Me Too in their cities as well. Now, it's very early days in terms of that, but uh, it's exciting to see this starting to take hold and, and, and really move across the country. It's wonderful. Now, who's the conductor in Boston? Is Ron the conductor? You know, Ronald, Ronald does that. As well. they, <laughs> they drive down from Burlington to Boston once a week. You know, oh, wow. it's about a four and a half, five hour drive each yeah. way. And they do it every single week. Yeah. Uh, they are really dedicated to doing this. And very often they will spend the night at one of the musicians' homes because they don't have a place to stay in Boston. Yeah. So it's really, I mean, this is really, uh, it takes a lot for them to do this. It's not easy, but they're very committed to it. Yeah, it really is their life. Uh, and they, you, you know, know, Caroline, it, yeah, sorry, go, go ahead. Well, I was just thinking as you were talking about the young woman who's going back to college that, you know, for any other disability, if, if she'd had a stroke, there would have been some type of accommodation. There would have been an elevator or a ramp or an assistant that would help her get back to school. And for all of these young folks that develop symptoms in college, oftentimes they can't go back to college for at least a year, and there's just no accommodation that society makes for people that have this kind of a disability. But for physical disabilities, um, there are multiple accommodations. Yeah, and it just seems so so wrong. You know, there's 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 no reason why uh, this should be treated. You know, any kind of mental illness should be treated in such a way. And it really is, I think, fear. It's people. It's almost like people used to be about cancer. You know, that somehow if yeah. you you know spent time with someone with cancer, it would happen to you. It's 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 not even logical. It's it's there's no. There, it's just about fear and and, uh, and 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 misunderstanding. I think, uh, and we really have to create. 
you know, new ideas about all of this in order for this to change. I think the sort of consciousness about it has to change and then hopefully pressure to change laws and different um, funding programs and such need to, need to change after that. But if people don't start uh, letting go of this fear, none of that is going to happen in my opinion. I couldn't agree more. I'll we'll be right back for our final segment after this commercial break. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Do you find yourself caring for people in multiple generations? Are you exhausted, stressed, and overwhelmed? Instead of spending hours searching for resources and information, Dr. Merrill and her guests will provide you with practical, everyday information and solutions to help make your life easier. Tune into Caught Between Generations, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you know about Reiki? This method of healing can complement Western medicine as well as other alternative practices. Besides healing, it can have the additional effect of making you feel more positive about yourself and the world around you. By tuning into For the Love of Reiki with host Paula Vale, you'll find how Reiki can improve your health, bring balance into your life, and fill you with joy. For the Love of Reiki is broadcast live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back. Um, our guests today are Margie Friedman and Barbara Malter-Wellen, who are the executive producers of Orchestrating Change, which is a documentary they're in the process of, of developing on the Me Too Orchestra, which is in um, Burlington, Vermont, and Boston, Massachusetts. And I really hope that people will join your crowdfunding initiative because there's so much in the media, and so we're just getting inundated with all types of fear-mongering and every time you turn the television on. And people with mental illness who are active in their symptoms are at the greatest risk for being shot or murdered just because 
they're mentally ill and they're having symptoms. So to be able to have society see that people get well and they can be, you know, they can go on and move beyond their illness, I think is crucial. So thank you for doing this. Oh, thank you, and thank you for for mentioning that. Certainly in in this atmosphere right now after this terrible shooting in Orlando, uh, it's so common for the media, as you say, to do this fear-mongering. And, you know, yeah, this Mateen was probably mentally ill, but statistically, as you say, it is so much more prevalent for mentally ill people to be victims instead of perpetrators. But when the media gets hold of a story like this, it's like, you know, dogs to a bone. Uh, They can't, they don't know another way to write about this. They don't know how not to sensationalize this. And there's certainly much more to this than just the fact that he was was mentally ill. Um, It's, I don't want to get political here, but obviously his access to to weapons uh, with such enormous power and uh, ability of these huge magazines has a lot to do with it as well. But maybe it's easier to just go with the old story about fear-mongering of the mentally ill than to talk about what some of the issues of, of, of gun control and the availability of these, these huge automatic uh, assault weapons. You know, it's just an easier story. Bigger headlines, perhaps. Well, and then you don't, um, excuse my language, piss off the people that are buying the commercials mm-hmm. either. Sure. True. That's a good point. And the same was true with the children, you know, the elementary school children who were murdered at um, Sandy Hook was the same thing, the same issue, you know. And, and I know for the musicians and me, too, it's, it's very troublesome for them to see um, these constant perceptions of the mentally ill when something really horrible happens. And as you said, Mary, statistically, they are more likely to be the victims of violent crime than actually the perpetrators by a long shot. And, and that's very disturbing for them, and I think it's one of the reasons why they want to appear in this film is because they really want to show a very, very different um, perception of what it's like to live with a mental illness, which they're doing on a, on a daily basis. Right. You know, they have difficulties on their own, uh, and it takes a great deal of uh, courage, I think, to stand up and say, you know, yes, I have a diagnosis, but no, I'm not my diagnosis. I'm so many more things. I'm a musician. I'm an artist. You know, I'm a, a person who holds a job and, and is responsible. I'm a father. I'm a mother. I'm a sister. I'm a girlfriend. All of these things are, are, are so important and so much part of them that, you know, the media never shows. Um, so that's another reason why we're so dedicated uh, to this film and to getting uh, a positive portrait out there. Plus, they, they're, they're really good. Uh, the music is really wonderful, uh, and it's uh, a lot of fun to, to listen to. Um, there are some other uh, of the people who've uh, been involved um, who, uh, as Margie mentioned, mentioned are not people living with uh, mental illness diagnoses. Uh, there are a number of uh, social workers, psychiatrists uh, who are involved, uh, medical people who have kind of some side passion as musicians. Uh, the orchestra has members from in 13 to 80, um, so it's inclusive in that way as well. Uh, it's, uh, it's just a, a great group to see working in such uh, close harmony, if I can put it that way. And what's interesting, one of the things that Ronald said to us early on, who's the conductor, is, you know, Ronald 
before his diagnosis was conducting, you know, the Berlin Philharmonic, the San Francisco Symphony. I mean, as Barbara mentioned very early on, this is someone who was conducting orchestras all around the world. And one of the things he said to us that I thought was so interesting is that when he was conducting those orchestras, he could maybe make them Mm. one-tenth of a percent better because they were already at such a high level. But with these musicians, he has seen, and we've seen it too, even in the year that we've been filming this, just extraordinary improvement where, yeah. where he can take them from A to Z. Uh, and for him, it's enormously satisfying. And, and I think it's done a lot for him as well uh, to have that kind of satisfaction. You'd think that someone who has worked with, you know, the world's great orchestras would find it tedious or difficult uh, to work with, you know, basically amateur musicians. But so much the contrary, as Margie is saying, he he absolutely loves doing what he's doing. I think he's happier and more content now working with uh, people who understand him and get him than, than he ever has been in his, in his musical life, which has basically been his entire life since he started so young. Uh, his ability to connect with and understand and um, live with them uh, in a certain way is so profound and it, it's such a joy to watch uh, aside from the relationships that he has uh, there's one young musician a young man still in his mid-twenties who, who's really been struggling with uh, keeping on his medication schedule and uh, he and Ronald have really developed um, quite a friendship and will go and have coffee and uh, the young musician said that you know Ronald uh, always emphasizes you know no matter what no matter what you feel like you know you need to keep on your medication. It's what will you need to get enough sleep. You know, you need to treat yourself well. Uh, uh, And that's a hard thing to do as a young man. But, you know, nobody understands it like Ronald, who's been there himself. Um, So those kinds of relationships are also incredibly powerful and and we hope to really portray uh, in this film. There's so much power in the community. And... um, I just can't say that enough, whether it's the community of, of the orchestra or the community of mutual help or self-help or the community that um, people get just by belonging to a church or, or whatever. And so much healing occurs through that community. And it's just wonderful that you're demonstrating that in this Thank you. Um, documentary. So do you want to mention how people can learn more about the documentary or how they can help support it before we end our show today? We would love to, and we appreciate your doing that. We've just started actually today um, an Indiegogo uh, crowdfunding campaign to raise money to uh, film the next phase of the film, and we honestly can't do it without people's support. I don't think people realize that making an independent documentary, you've got to raise your own funding, and so that's always a challenge, and that's where we are right now. We've shot about a third of the film, but we really need to do so much more. So if people go to the Indiegogo site, um, and there's a search box at the top, and if they put in orchestrating change, it'll take them to our page. And I know you have um, international listeners as well, and I know that Indiegogo is able to accept um, uh, donations from uh, people all across the world. And it's a, a tax... Um, it's tax deductible because Me Too Orchestra is our fiscal sponsor and they're a nonprofit. So whatever people donate to the film is tax deductible. And 5% of what we raise um, goes to Me Too Orchestra to help them continue their endeavors. So aside from supporting the film, you're also supporting them. 
Thank you both for being on our show today, and I can't wait to see this when it's all done. Thank, Thank you, Mary. We really, really appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Okay. Well, let us know. Have a good week, everyone. We appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.